Hello and welcome to another episode of The Code of Career with me, Cameron Blackwood. Today's guest is Simon Barker. Simon is the founder of All The Code, which is a careers network. And if you think that sounds familiar, you'd be correct. Both myself and Simon are super keen on helping people break into the industry and level up within it. So you should definitely check out his podcast, All The Code, and all of his content, particularly on Instagram. Chances are, if you're a fan of TCC, you'll be a fan of All The Code as well. Whilst we mainly talk about tech careers today, there's also as well some deviations into stuff like SQL, Web3 technologies, and JavaScript. If you enjoyed this episode or any Code of Career content, then please do feel free to contribute to the Patreon. There's a lot of great benefits in there that you can use to advance your career and get more behind-the-scenes access to what we're working on here. For free, if you want to support the show, please just join our Discord and just get engaged on there. It's a great way for us to create an engaged audience and encourage more brands to get involved uh, with the Code of Career. It's a real win-win. You can find the invite to that in the description. But without further ado, it's time to grab a coffee, push those commits, and enjoy the show. Hi, Simon. Thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing? Yeah, Cameron, I'm really good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on somebody else's podcast for a change. <laughs> yeah, well, it's very exciting to speak with a fellow podcaster as well. Uh, obviously, I'm a big fan, and I think I reached out to you because I stumbled across um, all the Code podcast. I didn't realize, actually, you have a bit of a whole network going on there. Um, so for those who aren't familiar with you or all the Code or, or, or anything like that, do you want to give a rundown about who you are, what your story is, and what you work on? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Simon, Simon Barker from All The Code, which is ostensibly an Instagram account that I started 18 months ago to help new developers, career switchers and what have you get into this weird and wonderful world of tech and development, focusing on how to learn to code, how to get a coding job. Like that's my core thing, like yourself, is how do you bridge that gap from, okay, you know how to code, but you haven't yet got a developer job. Like what does that gap look like? And that's the area that I primarily operate in. But the Instagram account does cover more than that and I'm up to about 55,000 followers there now I've also got careerswitchtocoding.com which has a book and a blog I do some writing for a couple of other websites as well and then of course the all the code podcast which I'm really excited to kind of have you on as well uh, where we'll dive into your story so uh, yeah that's me Simon from all the code very exciting and yeah I can't wait to be on your podcast because believe it or not I think you are the 34th guest I want to say on the Code of Career I have never appeared on anyone else's podcast and actually oh. due to a technical glitch we're recording on your software so it's really <laughs> weird it's almost like a preview of being a guest uh, on all the code and uh, Zencaster sort it out sort it out Zencaster <laughs> yeah R- uh, Riverside is River- Riverside is uh, is sweeping up the market at the moment for this kind of software <laughs> I tell you yeah absolutely um, we should make a podcast about podcasting that'd be very meta oh let's do <laughs> <laughs> cool good stuff stuff um so obviously on the on the code of career uh, what i like to do to get the audience to uh, to learn a bit more about you in, in a fun little uh, fun fashion um i like to go through some quick fire questions and uh, i sent those over to you in advance and no excuses if you're not sure um so they can find out a bit more about you the first one is a famous code of career question what was your first ever computer my first computer thinking back was well, hang on. Does it have to be mine, or is it the first computer that I had like a lot of access to? It's a super open question. So it can be the first computer you had access to. So your parents, a school computer, or even a games console. Okay, so the, I'll actually I'll answer this twice. The first computer that I had was a Pentium One three five five megahertz back in lord knows when uh 25 years ago probably uh so yeah and then the first computer that i bought for myself was a mac mini intel core duo 
and I've been on Mac ever since then. So that was the first one that I bought with my own money and I replaced it after six months with a laptop because that's what I should have done anyway. <laughs> yeah, historically, my philosophy has always been um, if someone, if I'm paying for it, I go Windows or Linux or if someone else is paying for it, I go Mac. However, um, I've uh, leveled up in the world a little bit and I've decided to just go full Mac my personal life as well. Although I do have a desktop tower um, that basically I just uh, mess about with. Uh, but yeah. I do just love the Apple ecosystem. Like, there's a reason why it's so renowned, and I don't even care if it's a little bit overpriced. Like, the M1 chips are such a game changer. The thing is, though, is there is, the funny thing is, if you spec it up actual like for like, same quality screen, same quality parts, same quality chassis, actually isn't overpriced. The difference is, is Apple don't offer anything that isn't the best type of screen, the best kind of chassis, right? You don't have an option below that like you do with other brands. Other brands will give you a less well-refined machine, not quite good a screen and that kind of thing. And that's where Apple don't offer that. And, and that is probably long-term to their detriment to not get the greater market share that they possibly deserve. But that's why it looks like it's all premium because it is premium stuff, basically. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think, um, you know, if you're a professional developer and you can afford it, it's just a good idea to get as best of a computer as you can because really you're going to be spending the majority of your day on it, whether that uh, whether that's actually in a day job or doing stuff like what we're doing now, which is out of hours. And, um, you know, I, I probably spend three quarters of my waking hours on a computer. So I'm yeah. going to pay for a good one. <laughs> exactly. And um, in, in terms of uh, terms of like, actual physical locations of tech obviously the world's gone a bit remote recently i know you've become a bit of a digital nomad yourself in recent times which i'm sure we'll go on to um what's your favorite tech city of all time my favorite tech city of all time it will be an unexpected answer for many people but is newcastle upon tyne in the uk so it's an underrated newcastle. tech city newcastle it it's is good. so exactly it's got a good tech scene i was part of it sort of for a while when i ran my business there for eight years a lot of the most famous games in the world have actually come out of newcastle's quasi underground gaming um industry that you don't even realize is necessarily there and also kind of shared with edinburgh as well so yeah it's uh, it's newcastle on time i was there for 14 years it's awesome it's cold but it's awesome <laughs> yeah i mean i'm an edinburgh resident myself so you know mm -hmm. cold but awesome is a familiar adjective for me and uh, yeah that games industry i don't know what it is in the water in the north sea because newcastle edinburgh and dundee um, you know, there's such a history for it. I, I, my parents live near Dundee, and I was actually talking about this with them uh, the other day because uh, they've opened up a big new museum in, in Dundee, and they were saying that there's literally a whole section dedicated to Dundee's history in the video gaming uh, industry because all sorts of games have come out of there. I mean, what, what, Grand what Theft games? Auto is the biggest one that I can think of, Rockstar mm. Games, and also is quite a lot of Forza made in that area. Um, I don't know if it's Forza, but I think Codemasters are based in Edinburgh. Um, or they might be somewhere in Fife, uh, like Kakodi yeah. or somewhere. Funnily enough, where I now uh, live and uh, move to, I, I moved to Leamington Spa, which nickname is Silicon Spa. And again, <laughs> we have uh, a lot of games companies there. We have Ubisoft, uh, we have Quali, which is a big... Um, a big mobile games company. Uh, there's there's a few around that area as well. So I have never I've never made a game. I've never been a game developer, but I seem to live in places where there are game developers. <laughs> yeah, and um, you, did did you say you're in um, Leamington Spa at the moment? So I remember you saying something about Lisbon. 
Yeah, so I'm actually, right this very second, I'm actually in El Bufira in Portugal. Uh, we are practicing for if we would like to emigrate. Uh, we've been here now for four and a half weeks. We have a week and a half left of our trip. We uh, And we will be driving back to the UK in two weeks' time. So, a week and a half time. So, I'm not looking forward to that drive. But <laughs> the one thing I have learned is that we do very much like Portugal. And we would potentially very much like to live here long term. So, uh, so yeah. And, of course, bigger developer. And the new remote world gives people that choice and that power. You know, there are some tax and legal ramifications, but even those are becoming very solvable with companies like Remote OK acting as a, not Remote OK, sorry, Remote.com acting as an EOR and that kind of thing. So it uh, it is definitely becoming much more of a, a possibility. That sounds really, really exciting. And, uh, you know, all the best for that move. And I think, you know, it, it would behoove everyone to try and live abroad at some point in their life and work abroad because it's really just an experience uh, un- unlike any other. Um, I've had a lot of people message me recently, actually, um, saying that they want to um, potentially try and move abroad. Um, usually the US, I can think of one reason why they might want to move to the US. Oh, as is a that because they pay the developers $150,000 a year, maybe? I think it's like purely from, you know, the goodness of their heart. You know, they just have Nothing a deep love for money. American culture and history. Nothing to do with the fact that like you can make 150k as a junior out there. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but um, anyways. Uh, these what, were supposed what, to be the quick fire questions. Yeah, the these are supposed <laughs> to be the quick fire questions. And um, when you when you are coding, what type of music do you like to listen to? I always don't want to answer this, but whatever. I listen to country music. Oh, nice. That's yeah, like the main thing I listen to because uh, I, I love guitars. I, my taste in music was summed up by my, old, my, by my old business partner once as you like guitars. And basically the only genre that is still playing guitars um, writ large is, is country. Like rock is as Fender and Gibson are both having massive uh, problems in the last kind of decade of declining guitar sales. Country is like the one sector that is still is still keeping it keeping it going. And yeah, I've got to skip past some of it. But uh, yeah, country music. That's what I listen to. Very nice. One of one of the one of the three sort of British country fans, but basically, yeah, there's <laughs> dozens of us. I say dozens. <laughs> and uh, what what about when you like to do your work? Would you say you're an early bird or a night owl? Yeah, unfortunately, I am both. So I can get going from first thing in the morning, and that comes from running a factory for nearly ten years. Uh, my staff used to like to start at half past seven in the morning, which meant that I started at seven in the morning. But also, I have problems getting to sleep, so I'm quite comfortable working until midnight. So, uh, yeah, kind of. my the, the one time a day I'm not very good is like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Like around that time, I'm pretty bad. But that's because I've been up since 6 and I work until 12. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I respect anyone that can be, you know, up and working at half past 7. Um, I find it difficult to really <laughs> get into gear before 10 uh, mm-hmm. myself. And... Um, what, what, what about um, before the days of being an entrepreneur, before the days of being a coder? What job did you want when you were a kid? Scientist. I don't know what ah. that meant, but I wanted to be a scientist. <laughs> kind of like a Doc, Doc Brown and Back to the Future kind of figure. Yeah, maybe. I just I just always imagined like playing around with green test tubes and stuff. Turns out I was terrible at chemistry, terrible at biology, but I was pretty good at physics and electronics, which is why I ended up doing a PhD in, uh, in electrical engineering. So yeah, scientist is what I wanted to be. Landed up being a quasi tech engineer entrepreneur type thing interesting and um let, let's talk about that journey so you went from um aspiring scientist phd candidate to entrepreneur to developer to now kind of developer and marketeer slash ceo slash all the rest of it T- tell me about it how did it all happen yeah so i went to a military boarding school 
and from there i realized that i didn't want the structure of the military but i enjoyed the technical aspects that that college uh, promoted it was for technical um, army officers uh, and so from there i went to university did electrical engineering did a bachelor's went straight to phd my bachelor's well i graduated in 2008 which was probably the worst year to graduate ever, apart from maybe this year. Uh, <laughs> friends were getting job offers, revoked left, right and centre. The world was imploding. Lehman Brothers was closing. You know, Fannie Mae and Mac were going under or what have you. My supervisor said, hey, do you want to do a PhD? It's fully paid. I was like, yes, please, I'll do that. Uh, <laughs> and my wife also got an offer to do a PhD in hers was neuroscience and electrical engineering. So I thought, right, let's stay here in Newcastle, do a PhD, hunker down, wait out the recession, get some money, and then I'll go and get a proper job after that. My wife's PhD took a year longer than mine. She's, she had to do a master's for hers. I didn't. So in that intervening year when I'd finished and she was still uh, working on her PhD, I got interested in startups, like the social network had kind of come out, tech was cool, coding was cool, I taught myself to code on my PhD, my wife and I had started a little business on the side making iPad cases, I think if we'd kept that business going, life would have been very different, but we were too early. Yeah, sometimes a product is too early for its market, and the iPad came out, and three months later, we were making custom cases with a JavaScript uh, web store where you could go on and like customize the case you wanted yourself, and... And we were just a bit kind of early to that, but, but I'd kind of, you know, started to get the feel for it. So yeah, taught myself to code, to solve problems on my PhD, to write software for that, and also to run this business on the side. Ran the business, then once my, once my PhD finished, my wife and I kind of shut that business, and then I started another business uh, with my, my now friend. Uh, we, we set up a factory and made a hardware product, kind of making UK central heating systems more efficient. That business was supposed to fail after six months and then my wife would finish her PhD and we'd go and get real jobs. And that business actually lasted eight years. Uh, we'd ended up wrapping that up in 2019. Um, February was very warm. We were selling a very seasonal winter-based product and unfortunately we, uh, we couldn't trade through Feb 2019. So I was sat in this place of like, I'd never had a real job uh, I had a diverse range of skills from running a factory, creating products, coding, etc. And I landed up putting out 200 job applications in the summer of 2019 and getting two interviews off the back of that. Fortunately, one of them, right at the end, I decided to start applying for coding jobs. And so I think seven coding job applications in, I got a I got an interview and landed up landing a junior developer um, position with a UK retailer working in their warehouse um, software department. Quickly got promoted to software developer two um, from junior because, as they pointed out, I'd already been writing software for over a decade. Um, <laughs> and I kept getting questions from people. They were like, aren't you a junior? I'm like, yeah, yeah, but you just need to change your .ht access file to do this. And there'd be something else. And I'm like, make that a private method so you do this, this, and this. They're like, aren't you a junior? I'm like, yeah, but not really. Let's just move on and solve, solve this problem that we've got in front of us. So unfortunately, COVID took a real toll on that business. So I moved to a data science consultancy was there for just under a year working on a new platform that kind of would have been a competitor to Snowflake uh, if anyone's heard of that business but that project landed up getting killed so I move on moved on to an edutech startup um, which was really great fun fast growing team I got to have a hand in helping define some of the culture there um, uh, but I decided 
um, to start the Instagram account around the time I joined the data science consultancy just to get my foot back in the idea of marketing and sort of doing something marketing first and not just being that kind of classic tech guy that writes code and nobody cares or wants it. So I was like, let's find an audience, let's solve problems for that audience and we'll work out what to do there. And, and the audience that I love is developers. You know, I love, like, like you obviously do as well, I love helping developers, I love working with developers, I love talking about development. So yeah, as of two weeks ago, I am I'm full time on all the code, working out what that business model is going to be, helping people, talking about tech, um, living in this kind of quasi careers dev rel um, kind of kind of area. So so yeah, that's my story. But the thread is basically coding throughout all of that and tech, um, and I've somehow managed to accumulate fifteen years of developer experience at this point across. I can't even count the number of programming language and tech stacks that I've worked with um, by this point. I basically, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds cool. And um, I mean, what what's a day in, in the life like for you now? Because um, I actually wrote my notes. Uh, what's a day in the life like for a, for a technical entrepreneur? But it's not even just that you're technical. You're handling commercial side as well. Um, so you're very busy. Uh, simply put, what's a typical day in the life like for you um, working on all the code? Yeah, so it's interesting because I have been essentially doing a full-time job and all the code for 12 to 18 months. And now that I've come full-time, I'm still trying to work out what that looks like because part of the deal with my wife was that, yeah, she can cover the bills and and maintain our kind of lifestyle while I work out what this is going to be. But she would very much like to see her husband again in the evenings and weekends, which hasn't (laughs) been a thing for about 12 months. And so where I kind of expected to have this big catapulting release of productivity and content and make great strides in the first couple of weeks. In actual fact, I've probably created just about as much content as I would have done when I was doing this on the side, but I've been doing it during typical business hours. So, you know, a lot of this is trying to understand what content people want, what messages they need to hear to help them get into development to get that first job and working out how I can commercially best solve their problems but that also kind of brings me uh, an income of some kind and so at the moment it's a mix of lots and lots of content creation for blogging making uh, many many Instagram posts and growing that as a kind of foundation I use Instagram as my test bed for content to see what resonates with people to see what concerns and queries they have and how I can then use that to inform the other content I make which is longer form and takes more time like the blogging like the newsletter like the people that I interview on all the code um, like the things that I tweet about although I don't tweet as much as I should um, that's that's really what it is right now is kind of understanding and defining how I can best serve a market that clearly clearly is crying out for this kind of service in it where you sort of where we are helping people get jobs understand how to get jobs how to show that they are valuable to an employer as a developer with a previous career but then also saying to companies hey look there's a whole sector of the market here that is is highly motivated dedicated and ready to work and you are ignoring them because you only want to hire people with seven years experience on a framework that's been around for four years like you are complaining about the hiring difficulties and the talent shortage and yet 
you are basically ignoring a whole sector of the market that is is ready and willing to work so that that's what i want to help solve but yeah basically i'm making it up as i go along (laughs) (laughs) as is everyone yeah day to day yeah exactly that's the ultimate part about when you realize you've become an adult is the point where you realize that actually everyone's winging it and that no one's got a plan and it's strangely comforting in a weird way yeah, um, I, it, it's it's also, I think the day that you realise that is when your parents start coming to you for advice that you feel like you should be going to them for. <laughs> I've, I've started to get that now and I'm like, oh, 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 okay, we're doing that. Yeah, sure. So yeah, this is how that finance thing works and that's how that bit of legislation works and maybe you should consider doing this. And I'm like, you're the parents here. Like, okay, this is how it works. So yeah. Um, yeah I can't I say I've reached that like stage that. yet. I'm still basically just the IT and tech support of the house. But other than that... <laughs> yeah uh, your role will expand don't worry (laughs) cool and um you you've kind of been gone your own way in in a good way you've gone your own way in your career and like made your own job and uh like made your own opportunities as part of that you've had to learn a lot of new skills um no doubt like informally not not within an education we mentioned cs50 earlier um how have you been able to effectively upskill through your career because you've gone through so many different job types and and entrepreneurial journeys how how have you been able to do that yeah so i think one of the massive benefits of going to university is you do learn how to learn and you learn how to learn for yourself and so that is the primary tool that university gives you as far as i'm concerned And, and obviously i took it even further by doing the phd so cs50 was the Actually, I did. I had a website in the second year of university uh, where I just literally just did CSS and HTML, and I think I just used W three schools for that. I think I'd had two failed attempts at learning C once when I was fourteen and landed up nuking, literally bricking the family computer. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, this what was did you delete system thirty two when that was possible. But yeah, basically, there was no computer left on the computer. Uh, they had, we had to get someone out to, to fix it. Um, so yeah, that wasn't everything was gone. Everything One of my previous guests, up. Romeo, deleted System 32 on his family computer twice growing up. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? That could well be could well be what I what I did. Yeah, looking looking back. So yeah, so um, so yeah, I and then finally CS50 is what is what stuck for me. But I had to have a reason to learn so the reason to learn was i was doing a phd where i had to program a microcontroller to send some data wirelessly as part of that and i realized that yeah i could kind of cobble it together but this was i think stack overflow launched in 2008 so we're talking around the time that that stack overflow was only just really becoming a thing so i do actually kind of remember a time before stack overflow i can't imagine such a thing times so (laughs) I know, but it happened. Can you believe we used to learn coding from books, actual books? (laughs) Um, So yeah, so CS50 and then kind of cobbling together for a while, picking things up as I went, asking questions on Stack Overflow because I didn't didn't know any other software developers until I actually got my first software developer job in, in 2019. So I'd been coding on my own for basically a decade or so. Um, And then I found Udemy. And I, I think I might be one of the few people that have actually finished a course on Udemy, um, <laughs> like literally taken a course to like 100%. So Rob Thomas, I want to say Rob Thomas, that might be the Maroon 5 singer, but I think it's also the name of a very successful um, 
uh, a lecturer, teacher, whatever on on Udemy. So I I love the iPhone. There's just something magical about an iOS app to me. And even now, when I make a little app and I run it on my phone. It just lands a bit differently in my soul when I see it like on the screen. I'm like, haha, you're running on the on that phone. You're not like a I'm not accessing a website or whatever. Like this is actually an app on the phone. And so I really needed to solve Radfan, my old business's supply chain issues. And so I'd written a Python script to do that as part of I decided to learn Python. I think I I followed through learn Python the hard way was how I learned Python. Also learned that I hate Python. I, I know many <laughs> people love Python. I absolutely despise Python. Um, I would ne- I've, I've actually I've ended job um, processes when they've said, "Oh, we code in Python." I'm like, "I'm really sorry. I'm not for you." But I wrote this little this little supply chain script, and I realized that what I actually needed was an app on my phone. So when I was walking around the factory, I could actually sort of take notes and update stock levels on my phone. So I took the Learning Swift course, and I created a stock management app that is still available. It's version 1.0. I never did a point release. It's still available on the uh, on the App Store, and it still sells two or three copies a week at like $2 a shot, which still astounds me because it came out in 2016, and I haven't touched it since um so so yeah so that was how i i learned with udemy and i really like video courses i've taken half a dozen of max uh maximilian shorts bots its courses i've taken simon grimm's ionic courses uh, i've taken a few other udemy courses i watch them on 2x speed and code along if i need to and then usually i just have a project that i'm working on on the side and whatever example they're doing i'll just find the next nearest thing that i can implement in the app that i'm working on so uh so yeah that's my that's my kind of learning style is quickly watching videos and um and then implementing my own version of it as soon as possible so that i don't get stuck in tutorial hell <laughs> as so many do and um for people that aren't familiar with tutorial hell do you want to explain what that is because it is a huge trap people that learn to code fall into yeah um so tutorial hell is when you are so used to having your coding guided by somebody else that you actually don't build up the problem solving pathways in your brain to actually know how to implement code from first principles. So you know that when someone tells you, oh, to do what we're doing here, you need to do a map so that you convert this array to that. So in the moment, you understand what's going on. What you haven't been taught is why they're using map in that moment so that you understand and connect problem to solution without just being told how it works and this leaves you in a situation where you actually go completely blank when you try to create something yourself because you haven't built up that neural pathway to link theory to application and work out how to do that yourself so this is why when they say in a course pause it here and solve this problem yourself you really should pause it there and solve that problem yourself even if it takes you three hours and dozens of google searches and what have you because that's how you actually learn to code rather than learning how to copy someone coding yeah absolutely and um, the other thing as well it can lead to over reliance on like learning tools so to give an example of how I was stuck in tutorial hell, um, I spent six months coding before I even knew what an IDE was, let alone actually used one. Um, and as a consequence of that, I was so used to coding inside a tiny box, which was free CoCamp for me, which is fantastic. Free CoCamp is amazing. Um, but as a consequence of that, I didn't know how to build a wider scale project. I'd never used VS Code or Atom or whatever. 
and uh, Git was a complete mystery to me. I thought GitHub was somewhere where you literally just copied and pasted your code in, which is really silly for me to say uh, and even think that now. But, um, you know, it, it's something that can easily happen, especially if you're self-taught. So uh, it's an, a quick way to get pigeonholed. So, yeah, it's definitely um, a good thing to avoid. So I... I I have to remind myself, just touching on what you said mm-hmm. there about kind of not knowing what Git was and stuff, is when right in the early days, and this was definitely before Stack Overflow, I was trying to build a website where I would just put information up about what I was studying, kind of the, well, I guess, an early days kind of blog, right? And I was, I, I remember spending two days trying to work out the difference between a website and a blog. Two days <laughs> to work out the difference between those two things. It took me so long to realize that a website is anything and a blog is a type of website and specifically it tends to be a piece of software running on a server that creates a blog. There was nowhere to just lay out and explain that in clear terms back in 2006 when I was doing this. Um, And so, yeah, whenever I meet someone who says, oh, I haven't used this, I haven't done that, I've been going through this process, I always remind myself, I didn't know the difference between a website and a blog and that took me two days to work out. Like there is no, to me, there is no concept um, too simple for it to be considered just, oh, you should get this regardless, right? Because a blog versus a website, it took me two days. Yeah, it's something where um, there's all kinds of situations where I think every developer has felt really silly about something when they're learning. You know, I still do all the time, all the time. Uh, and it's it's totally natural and you know you're always gonna it feeds into imposter syndrome it's a horrible cycle um but yeah i i can really relate to what you're saying now and it's important that we keep that in mind as well um as, as we help um people that are more junior um and i mean we're talking about growth and and development in terms of the industry itself what do you see as the future of web dev you know on recent episodes people have shouted stuff out like web assembly uh web 3.0 and and the blockchain what what do you th- what do you see as like an emerging tech or um, trends that you think will happen over the next 10 years yeah so i think the move to cloud is that is happening whether whether you like it or not the next 10 years is all about transitioning as much infrastructure as possible to public clouds. So be it AWS, GCP, um, Azure, and then the extension of that will be the edge. So that will be things like Vercel, Netlify, Cloudflare. They host static content at the quickest response time part of infrastructure on the internet. It's highly available, massively scaled, so cheap to host these websites these platforms don't even charge you until you're getting billions and billions of hits because it's basically just static content that being said i think the following 20 years will be undoing quite a bit of that i think there's a lot of money to be made right now moving everything to public cloud and i think in the future there'll be a lot of money to be made undoing some of that move (laughs) to public cloud and that is hugely controversial and most people will disagree with me and that's totally fine and i'm happy to be wrong but you do a search online for aws's rubbish and you will find a large cohort of developers who are not happy with the current move to proprietary third-party black box systems they come with a huge amount of power and a huge amount of scale but there are downsides that right now 
I don't think enough people are talking about. So I that's that's the transition I see. Web three, maybe. I don't know. I just don't know if the world needs an expensive, slow, distributed, slow compute, <laughs> which is currently what Web3 is. Like, it's mm. expensive, it's hyped, it's full of scams, it's the financialization of everything. And also, there's a very, very strong reason to not have everything completely immutable. Like, if it's on the blockchain, it's immutable. It's not going anywhere. Unless you literally destroy that complete blockchain, it's not going anywhere. But, but what about if there's a consensus and it can that. be changed though, right? Like if there's a 51% consensus, a record can be changed, if I understand correctly. But, uh, but the the 51% consensus would have to agree to fork the blockchain oh, okay. from the block before that. Mm-hmm. But any node that disagrees or any node any node that someone spins up and says actually now do you know what you guys can go off i mean ethereum has been forked right yeah because ethereum that's had why that there huge are two fork, ethereum blockchains yeah because um because they got hacked and 270 million dollars worth of coin got got rinsed out uh, it's interesting the reason why they forked it is because um ethereum had massive investors that said you need to fork it before this Otherwise, we're walking away. And so every time Web3 has had the opportunity to go decentralized or money, it has taken money. And we're mm. seeing that time and time and time again. Is human taking, nature. They're going down the money path. Now, it's human nature because the other, the other issue I have with Web3 is that the old incentives for founders was have an idea, build something, raise some money, do a really good job, get an exit, get rich. And that could be a 10 or 15 timeline, right? Whereas now, come up with an idea, fork an existing um, blockchain technology, start your new chain, do an initial coin offering, call it a DAO, pump up the price, you now have billions of dollars in your bank account if you want to sell your coin, which has happened. And they just walk off into the sunset. Because but do you remember what happened with the rewards straight away? Squid Game coin, obviously. That was probably when we hit peak bull market without turning this into a crypto podcast. That was when we hit peak bull market when so many people fell for that and it got rug it got yeah, rug pulled. 100%. Like it was a ridiculous situation. Yeah. That's what worries me. And I mean I'm someone that's been you know, I bought my first Bitcoin when I was seventeen, um, in twenty thirteen and um twenty twelve actually. And um I've been a believer in cryptocurrencies and decentralized finance for a long time and I think it is um, the opportunities to uh, to uh, circumnavigate, um, you know, oppressive regimes and that sort of thing um, via these systems is amazing. But yeah, I agree with a lot of the points you've raised about how, you know, it's becoming a bit of a scammer's paradise and a lot of people are just in it for the money. So it's a difficult one. Um, I'm really interested in what you said about moving back to on-prem. Um, I wonder where that will go. I do have some worries about how we will eventually, if things continue the way they go, all cloud computing power will be in the hands of about four companies. That's slightly worrying. Yeah. Um, like, because, 100%. you know, even on just the simplest terms, oligopolies can often operate as cartels. And I can see that ending up becoming very expensive. I'm not saying it will happen, but, you know, it, it does, does, you know, it's right to be a bit concerned about it. 
Hundred percent. John Syracuse from ATP, um, Accidental Dad Podcast. He was discussing aspects of this when they were talking about uh, Linode getting bought, which was one of the small minnows in the public cloud space. And he said that AWS is cheaper, but it's like a it's like a, a a cloud infrastructure RPG game. You need to work out how to structure things to make it cheaper. And weirdly, AWS do help you extensively make it cheaper. However, eventually it gets very, very expensive. And when I say an unraveling of the cloud, I don't necessarily mean going back to on-prem. I just mean a going back to more traditional server style infrastructure. So it may still be on AWS. It might just not be using Lambda functions, using the fire that is DynamoDB. Uh, it might be using, you know, actual VMs, uh, Kubernetes, that kind of thing. Mm. You know, there is a there is a. I had this chat with Lou Bichard from uh, Open Up the Cloud, where we talked about this on on all the code, which is there is a wide spectrum of what the cloud is. I mean, at a certain point, the cloud is just hosting, right? And then yeah, it's just absolutely. different flavors on top of that. And a lot of I think what we're seeing at the moment is a big move to highly scalable, decentralized, event-driven architecture. But the developer experience on those platforms is horrendous. Digging through asynchronous event logs in Cloudflare is literally the worst way to spend a Thursday <laughs> afternoon when, you, when you're trying to work out what the issue is in production and you've got customers screaming at you. Um, so either companies need to significantly sort out the cost and developer experience aspect or we will see an unraveling back towards not proprietary that's my prop that is my fundamental issue with the cloud is like you said there it's four companies that at a certain point will be able to do whatever they want and if we link the two things of the future we're talking about here just how decentralized is your blockchain if 75 percent of the nodes are running on aws mm. It's very true. That's a nice headline. And that's something that I can definitely cut out and use as an audiogram. So that's a seasoned podcast right there. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think if I go for the that's AWS sponsorship. Yeah. <laughs> if I go for the AWS sponsorship, maybe not. Um, you know, I'm not gonna lie, like yeah. AWS who are listening, I'm hundred percent I'll hundred percent sell out for a sponsorship there. Like you can disregard everything I just Me too. said. <laughs> <laughs> um I do I do like AWS to be fair. Um I, I am a fan of it and I definitely see its use and like I'm using it. Um, with code of career so you know I, I, I definitely um, I just worry about the you know in 20 years time um, but yeah it, it'll be an interesting thing to um, to watch uh, to watch unravel for sure the nice thing is that that we don't know what the future holds and one of my core beliefs is strong opinions loosely held the best thing you can be as a senior developer is opinionated you're not getting paid to just write code you're getting paid to have an opinion to have a direction and to have a core set of beliefs but unlike what the world would have you believe when new information comes along that is better you can change your mind so you know i might say right now i am not a fan of certain aspects of event-driven architecture and aws but you know what if i'm working for a company that says yeah but we need to do this that and the other and aws is the best fit then yeah fine we'll use aws not a problem at all because that is what professionals and engineers should do they should assess things based on what's in front of them and just not and not just hold on to dogmatic beliefs yeah and in general it's a big part about being an adult which i think the world seems to forget a lot especially online is it's okay to change your opinion 
if you want to change your opinion that's fine like uh you know uh, whether you're confronted with new evidence or whether you've just thought about the problem a lot you know it's a good idea to expose yourself to different ideas and to change your opinion um over time is if anything a sign of strength um i i think you know whether that's about politics tech uh um i was going to say sport but it's a bit weird if you change your favorite sports team um based on like your evolving mindset <laughs> uh, i just couldn't think of a good third example um but yeah it, it's you know you might i don't know um to give an example i used to hate rap music when i was like 14 now it's one of my favorite genres you know that's a very surface level example yeah, that's but okay. like it's yeah it's part of being an adult is you know just just changing changing your opinion and stuff and accepting that it can evolve and that, you know you're you're not totally infallible uh, <laughs> and yeah, um yeah 100% there's two 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 little expressions i like no is a complete sentence and yes <laughs> i may change my mind on things and one to add to that as well is I believe Abraham Lincoln said, if you've only got the money for one newspaper, buy the one you disagree with. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what what advice do you think you would give someone who has maybe listened to this podcast or your podcast and read, read materials and decided, you know, I think I do want to learn to code? Um, what advice would you give them both from a technical standpoint and a professional and personal one? Sure. So I always divide this question into two different cohorts. The first is if you are not in a great rush to learn to code, i.e. you have time, you're not on the breadline, um, you don't have a, an impending sort of redundancy or cliff, then start with something that teaches the foundations. CS50 is probably the best course that I know, and it's free, that will teach you fundamentals. It takes slower. It is classic bottom-up learning. You learn a lot. You might not necessarily realize how it's relevant, but it's an excellent foundation. Start the course that gives you foundations and see it through. That's the core part is to see it through. Don't get distracted halfway through by something different. Learn to code. That's the most important thing because once you've learned to code, what language you use doesn't really matter unless it's Python. They're really great <laughs> life choices. But um, I'm joking, of course. Um, but learning to code is the most important activity because I've programmed in like 12 different languages over the years. All of them are slightly different. I have to Google syntax in most of them, but the fundamentals, arrays, tuples, variables, const are all the same. If you have an impending cliff in your life, uh, you absolutely desperately need a job, you absolutely desperately need to prepare for a redundancy that you know is coming or something, then take a very practical hands-on web development course something like zero to mastery or a udemy course something like that that teaches you very very practical vocational web developer skills in a set amount of time and absolutely cover everything that course gives you make sure that you don't get stuck in tutorial that you do the challenges because that will give you a top-down quick injection of skills that you can then use as a sort of bulkhead into the development world in your first job you will have lots of gaps in your knowledge that you will need to actively go back and fill in i would recommend a book called the imposter's handbook which is brilliant for that um, but that is the quickest way but you will need to do a lot of work after the fact so there are my two answers to that question 
Yeah, that's really good. And um, I hope you don't mind me plugging an affiliate link here. But um, I uh, I mean, we're both Absolutely. actually brand, ambas- uh, brand both brand ambassadors to Zero to Mastery. So um, if you like the sound of it, then you can check the link in this one um, or you can check the link in Simon's um, uh, podcast as well. And you can um, you can go through there and um, CS50, obviously, being that it's free, there's no affiliate program. Um, but I think that must be the 20th time CS50 has been mentioned on there. And, you know, something doesn't get mentioned that often if it's not incredible. And David Mallon is just a, an amazing guy. Um, and uh, I would love to get him on here, actually, um, uh, at some point, um, if he would uh, if he'd accept the opportunity. And um, just his style of teaching is unbelievable. And the way he can explain very complex topics very simply uh, is unlike anything else. And how good is it? And how lucky are we? We can get a Harvard education for free, five thousand miles away. It it's, it boggles the mind. Imagine yeah, well, explaining well, that to me twenty years and, ago. And and it's been that way for nearly fifteen years because I took CS fifty when it was a few files that you would FTP off Harvard servers and some lectures on iTunes U back in oh, two thousand and eight wow. nine. I didn't realize it was so going that. So I had to. Yeah, so I had they they back then. I think they still teach C now. Um, and yeah, back they then, <laughs> the only way to get yeah, the only way to get the util files, the CS fifty dot H and dot C files, was to download them as raw files from Harvard's FTP server. And then I had to work out how to um, get the compiler to link and make those files so that i could use them in even the first um the first problem sets like the first thing i did for cs50 wasn't even solve the problem set it was work out how to get gcc which is the compiler from memory to link in other external files so that they're in scope when you need it to run i think that took like three days uh (laughs) and i don't think I don't think it was on Stack Overflow, so I have no idea how I solved it, but I did. <laughs> it's often the way. If you could sum up my career, that's probably that tagline. I don't know how I solved it, but I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I did, yeah, yeah. But just the amount of lives that David Malan must have changed as well. Like, good Lord, what an yeah. impact one person can have on a sector. Like, it's just, it's yeah, just uh, unbelievable. And I think uh, I think we'd all be so lucky to have our names uh, known that widely for having a positive mm. impact on... And he's never sold out as well after, like nearly 20 years doing it like uh oh, he's got I... tenure though isn't he <laughs> he's got he's got oh, tenure he? at harvard i think he's doing all right <laughs> yeah he's probably doing okay yeah i doubt he's struggling <laughs> um but yeah ev- everyone has got to check out cs50 it's totally free don't be intimidated by the fact it's harvard like he it w- is challenging but he explains everything so well and the infrastructure around it is so good and it has slightly advanced from the days where you're downloading util files um it's all it's all live streamed and uh, it's all on github so i wouldn't worry about the util stuff um people that learned to code sort of when i my era of learning to code we are very lucky and we should remember that because uh, <laughs> i cannot imagine learning with no di- oh it was different back in my day yeah. <laughs> <laughs> walking uphill to school both ways uh <laughs> with coal in my bag yeah (laughs) but um yeah this has been an awesome episode i mean this is kind of part one really because i'll be popping on your podcast very Mm. shortly and um i mean i'd really like to thank you for coming on simon it's been it's been awesome speaking to you and um do you do you want to give a bit of a more of a shout out to uh to all the code um because i I really highly recommend anyone who likes to code a career is going to love all the code 
Yes, thank you. I, I, this has been this has been great fun. Being a guest is is a different experience, and I've I've really enjoyed it. I mean, you know, you don't become a podcaster if you don't like the sound of your own voice. So to have an opportunity to <laughs> hear my own voice even more has just been wonderful. So thank you. Uh, yeah. So the best place to find me is is Instagram.com forward slash all the code. DMs are open, as they say on Twitter. Um, just DM me more than hi. Please send me more than just hi. I get so many messages are just hi. I'm like, no, go on. You've got my attention. Like, ask the question now. Like, don't, don't, don't sort of leave me, leave me hanging. So, uh, yeah. So, careerswitchtocoding.com is the web address. Uh, join the mailing list if you want a quick start guide, 15 page, um, digest it in about five minutes, um, and it just kind of covers off some, some of the kind of standard points in this area, and no doubt the kind of thing that that Cameron has has covered off in previous episodes. But, uh, but yeah, that is that is me, and um, I really appreciate you having me on. Cameron, this has been this has been awesome. No worries at all. I'm looking forward to speaking again very very shortly. Um, and uh, yeah, um, go, go, going on uh, going on all the code, and obviously you can find that on all streaming platforms. All the links to that will all be in the description, of course, um, to this show as well. Um, but for now as well, I'd just like to say thank you to all the listeners. Uh, we've had a huge push on the uh, Code of Career Discord recently. Um, so if you want to join now for a bit of peer support, find a mentor, maybe even mentor somebody if you're a very kind human, um, you can uh, do that as well. The invite for that is in the description. Um, as well but until uh, I speak to you next time um, I hope you have a great week and happy coding